Standing in the Alpha Beta parking lot, watching the sunset. Ladies and gentlemen, your Philadelphia Eagles are advancing to the next round of the NFC playoffs, in large part to Cody Parkey and that beautiful right foot of his, but even more. Trayvon Hester. To the hand of Trayvon Hester, the best <laughs> Hester to ever play at Soldier Field. I'm Russ Joy. That's Kevin Kincaid. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Of si, course, senor. Go into the description of the episode and you can find his uh, Twitter handle. Click right on it immediately and boom, follow him. There you go. So um, a lot to break down. Of course, we've got this Eagles game. That's going to be a, a big chunk of the of the uh, story today. We do have some follow-up because, uh, you know, since Kevin's job is as the uh, Sixers beat writer, of course, there's a little bit of intrigue going on over within uh, Sixers land with uh, Jimmy Butler and Brett Brown and even Joel Embiid and all kinds of shenanigans. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's be uh, honest. I just, I just, I'm just the guy who goes to the Sixers games. You know, when the Eagles are not doing anything, it's the Eagles all the time in Philadelphia, as you well know. Well, I could talk to you about all the things that are going on with the Flyers right now, but because uh, that's <laughs> oh, that's been a rip roaring good time to be around. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, it's it been, sounds it's like been it. all those nights. Oh man, let me tell you. Yeah, I, I really have enjoyed it. So Let me I, tell I you something. This, this is the this is the fun thing though, listening to other people I guess who have been on the beat for, I don't know, fifteen years or longer or whatever, just lamenting the fact that they have to stick it out with this team the rest of the year. This team being the Flyers, and I just sit back and I go, you know, it's it's, it's kind of cool. Like, you know, you get like for them at least. I'm like, you guys get paid to be here and for this to be your job. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got to go work another job. Yeah, and then I'm here. And it's great, but like, yeah, welcome. It, it's not that bad. Welcome it's in. Really, really not bad. <laughs> so well, anyway. you could go work for uh, Kevin Manahan at NJ.com, and you could, uh, you could work full time hours, but only be paid part time. That's true. Would you like to do it? Would you like to do that? Well, like, I, you know, I guess it could be worse. That's a that's a good way to put it. I don't. That's. <laughs> it's always perspective. It's, it, honestly, it's the one thing I don't get about about certain media people is like, you you have a pretty good job. I mean, I get the deadlines are awful, and yeah, and I yeah. like I certainly don't adhere to deadlines for the site, and there are games where I don't write anything up, I just kind of focus on on the hockey show. But like, I ah, whatever the press or the press row show. Yeah, the it's taken off, show. man. And that's so, a good. So that's been goalie, yeah. I'm surprised. I'm. I gotta be honest. I'm surprised that the press row show uh, is as popular as it is. Not because it's not as a slight. Uh, to you and Anthony, but I, you know the format of doing the the Facebook Live kind of thing. I think it's more like it makes more sense. I think for hockey with the with the intermissions, you guys are still doing yeah. them during the intermissions, right? Yep. Yeah. So I think it just it's like more. You know, the, the NBA halftime is only like fifteen minutes. It's like yep. what the hell am I gonna like walk back there, like set my phone up for like five minutes and grab like you know rich hoffman or sarah todd or something say yo come over here and let's talk about this or whatever you know plus nothing yeah. ever happens in the first half of basketball anyway you know it's just we're just all waiting for the fourth quarter anyway so you're all we- yep you're waiting yeah. for the last two or so minutes, yeah. So. yeah yeah well it is a job you know it's a job it so is. you don't necessarily uh care really you know like i'm watching those eagles games i'm watching the game last night. like i don't like i grew up an eagles fan i don't particularly care at the end of the day who wins? Of course, I would like for them to win because that means more eyeballs on the site and more stuff to write about. It, it, it keeps the intrigue going through another week or another two weeks or something like that. But 
I'm I'm kind of like the like the fan side of it, which has gone away for me, is like kind of come back in for this week against the Saints because I fucking hate that team. I don't know what it is about that. I think it's something about Sean Payton. Something about Sean Payton just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, not just like the running up the score thing, the you know, thirty-eight to seven when it was a couple weeks ago, or whatever, and throwing throwing on fourth down, and Malcolm Jenkins flipping him off and. I don't know. It's something about like that that team. I guess Alvin Kamara saying the stuff that he said in the offseason about how they would have beat the Eagles or something like that, even though they lost to the, the Vikings of all teams. Yeah, and then uh, him it, pulling out the ski mask a few weeks ago and and kind of reminding yeah. everybody like who who real the real ski mask season team is. Like, yeah, all that nonsense. Like, yeah, I don't understand. It's petty that. and stupid. Like it, the Eagles have like a penthouse suite in the Saints' heads. Well, it seems like they, it doesn't seem like it's like, like what is it. the correlation? Like the amount of like praise that's heaped upon them and like some of the talking that they do in the way that Sean Payton acts you'd think that they had won like five Super Bowls or something you know yeah Sean Payton as as Bob would argue has probably done less with more over the years has he not yep you know, he's had Drew Brees for how long and how many Super Bowls does he have he has won yeah which true. was a while ago so I don't know but anyway that's not of his generation yeah that's next week listen I I've never seen anything like the double doink you know Everybody did the doink the clown joke at WrestleMania, joke. WrestleMania 9 where he came out, the second doink the clown. See, this is wrestling. We tried to talk a little bit about wrestling like two podcasts ago, and I couldn't really contribute anything to wrestling because I said that I hadn't watched it since like the, the Razor Ramon days. But I do remember WrestleMania 9 because it was outside, right? Doink, it was doink the clown versus Crush. Yep. And doink uh, Crush put him in the cranium cruncher or whatever it's called what was it called the cranium crush was that was it called the cranium crush sure. he just grabbed his finisher was just he just grabs the guy by the head he puts both uh hands oh, he around goes, his like, head mountain on on the viper in like, game of thrones oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah kind like, of pop him like a watermelon pop him like a zit yeah kind of but then doink the other doink comes out and hits him with a cast hit him like with a uh a prosthetic arm or something like that and uh doink got the win do, uh, doink and doink so it was a double doink and it was the easiest joke I think uh, to make but yeah you know it's funny man I don't think anybody really saw I don't think anybody noticed right away that Hester got a hand on it no I don't think it was until it really I don't think went mainstream until I want to say like an hour or so after like the 45 game. minutes an hour or something like because that it, yeah it became one person slowing it down on like the just regular NBC feed to a few people finally you know how the the wi-fi is in stadiums it's pretty trash until yeah you get it's out. pretty bad yeah and there were a couple people who were bears fans who actually put up and almost immediately like they were almost at at the sideline and had the side angle that was one that i i think was a, a reporter yeah she put it up and you could just see the velocity like where the ball came off of parky's foot and she just you know naturally kind of tried to pursue where the or follow where the track of the ball would have been yeah and it almost yeah, yeah. kind of like trickles into frame like you don't really get that idea of the velocity change seeing it from behind parky but when you saw it from the side you can definitely see you can see that the, it the started finger, to the finger hit but you can see the spin change and you can definitely see the velocity yeah it was tough to by, s- the, by the tip it was tough to see and it's like impossible to say whether it would have gone in or not i mean it's some people saying that it would have like probably hit the post anyway but i don't know i think the spin considering Considering the way it turned and that the the fact of the matter that if it was like an inch to the right, it probably would have hit 
at a point where it would have would have gone in maybe. So yeah, but and I mean the well, NFL, look, we're both the soccer NFL guys. We should be able it. to do a little bit better job of projecting <laughs> this, right? Well, yeah, but it's a round, it's a round ball versus an egg. Now the egg is pretty much the versus same thing. a hand. They're both egg. the ball. They're both the ball. I guess. But what was the t- so like other other than uh, other than just coming down to the end there? What was your what was your main like takeaway from that game? Because I started off the the post this morning with on Monday morning with the with the final drive. You know, I I think I think for me it was that the first half you had so many things go wrong and you had a a drive that got extended on a bad penalty and ultimately after Foles turns the ball over twice in that first half on a couple of of mediocre throws one of them was that rush where he, he gets flushed out of the pocket and he throws it towards the end zone anyway and mm-hmm. and and in Nick Foles postseason history that typically magically you know flutters its way between two defenders and into the loving arms of Alshon Jeffrey or something but you know, you look at it and you go, okay, the the defense somehow, and this is really is a credit to Jim Schwartz, Avante Maddox, before getting burned on every double move that was thrown his way, had himself a pretty good first half, I thought. Yeah, he did. And and you look at it and you say, okay, th- this defense that's so undermanned, especially in the secondary, I mean, like you, you think about how many guys they've lost, and especially like the loss of Rodney McLeod earlier in the season. Like, we, we didn't really know what the safeties were going to look like. And, yeah, of course, yeah. losing all the corners, like – you know, put the double moves aside. Like, Avante Maddox, I think, has been, at least to some extent, a little bit of a revelation in this. He just needs a little bit more coaching, but I think, like, the physical tools are there. I think he actually could be a good player for them. But well, he's, a, gotta, he's a rookie. Like, people forget he's a friggin' rookie, too. Yeah. You know, it's not just that he's played a bunch of positions. Like, his first, you know, he was a fourth-round pick, too. It's not like he yep. was some, like, some first-round corner, you know? So, like, I think my biggest takeaway was the first half, a lot of things went wrong. A lot went wrong. And yeah. yet you were only down by three. And to me, that that I, I said it was only Chris and I were the only two that picked the Eagles to actually win that game. And I was confident that they were going to be able to score just enough points against the Chicago defense yeah. to, to win the game. And, you know, when you're only down three on the road and all these things have gone wrong, the only thing that I was fearful of at halftime was, can the defense actually keep this up? Or are we going to be in a situation where, like, they hold this this Bears team off for a while, and then eventually things have to break. Then again, it wasn't like Mitch Trubisky's this great young quarterback where he's like a transcendent talent. It's not like you were up against like a young Pat Mahomes or something, right? Like, yeah, you kind of knew what Trubisky was, especially if you happened to watch the Chicago Minnesota game the week before. I think I even said on the show that I did with you last Monday, like there isn't a whole lot to be afraid of there. He's mobile. But, like, he, he misses a lot of easy throws, and he also makes some really tough throws. Like, the one that he had in the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, some of those back shoulders, like, man, on those on those sidelines. Yeah, throw. yeah. Like, that's why, that's why you can see why Chicago fans might have been, like, why they've been high on him. It was a brilliant throw. Like, Collinsworth broke that down in the fourth quarter. But, like, yeah, he went back shoulder on yeah. him. And, and, like, I thought that was actually one of Collinsworth's best moments. He was okay um, last night. I, I, didn't mind, I didn't mind his calls at all. Well, like he seemed you. like he see, see the thing with Collinsworth is like I know everybody says that he's like corny or you know, Eagles fans think that everybody hates him every announcer hates him or whatever but my biggest gripe with a lot of the broadcasts broadcasts this year with the color commentary guys not the color commentary guys specifically but more of like the play by play guys is that they just don't seem like they, they give a shit like 
it seems to them like they're just going through the motions. You know, it's just another day at the office, which yeah. I get it. When you've called as many games as a lot of a lot of them have, it's just another day at the job. You know, when we watch 82 Sixers games a year, yeah, nobody really cares about the Knicks on a Wednesday night or whatever the hell. But, you know, you, it's your job to kind of convey to the audience and kind of like – kind of act excited, kind of sell the game a little bit, try to pull people in. It's just, it's a spectacle, you know? It's a whole big thing. It's a playoff game, you know? Um, Al Michael seemed, like, a little more interested last night, but Chris Collinsworth, like, was just sort of na- naturally kind of, like, talking his way through, you know, when, when the double doink happened. You know, that was pretty, like, honest kind of reactionary stuff from him, you know? He seemed kind of dialed, and it seemed like he was at least interested in the game. He called some good X's and O's uh, kind of stuff last night. He was talking about some of the different stuff that Matt Nagy and, and – uh, Doug Peterson were throwing at him. Um, Shefty had this. Uh, Shefty is uh, um, uh, the cuz would call him. Adam Schefter had Talk a um, about both. <laughs> Shefty. Shefty. Yeah. He had this great um, this great statistic because you're talking about On the, the business line. I the primo hoagie sesame seed bun roll line. <laughs> the the bun roll the bun, the bun roll, roll line. line yeah okay calling in on the bun roll line it's Adam Schefter <laughs> with uh with the statistic here uh, the Bears are plus two in turnovers on Sunday versus the Eagles the home teams that were plus two in the playoffs over the past forty years were one hundred twelve and four let me read that again that's bonkers Bears are plus two in turnovers on Sunday versus the Eagles the home teams that were plus two in the playoffs the past forty years were one hundred twelve and four so this is like you know it was for us it was like one of those Sixers games it reminded me of one of those Sixers games where and I, I do this this part of the takeaways post every every week where I point out like the auxiliary kind of like stuff like not the the wins and losses that they have in like other categories like time of possession and turnovers and and third downs and stuff like that and then like when you watch the Sixers like people would always complain about the fucking turnovers last year you know it's like well Brett Brown's got to fix the turnovers and beat has to stop dribbling blah 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 right but, but they would always you know, the Warriors were a big turnover team, too. And how do you remedy turnovers? You win in other areas. You know, you get offensive rebounds to make up for possessions or you just shoot 50% for three, right? So yeah. Eagles minus two in turnover margin, but six for 13 on third down. For, they were 46% on third down uh, and one for one on fourth down, which was, which was the Golden Tate touchdown. The Bears coming into this game were number one, I want to say, or number three um, in, in third down. Uh, percentage they were holding teams to just 32 I had it written down here somewhere yeah the Bears had only been allowing a 32 percent success rate on opponent third down so the Eagles were 14 percentage points better than Chicago uh, normally allows on third down so that's one way to wipe out turnovers you know another one was the time of possession because Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen couldn't run the ball the Eagles won time of possession 30 48 to 29 12 uh, Eagles and the Bears were number two and number three this this regular season in time of possession. Um, Chicago only went five for f- five for sixteen on third down. That was thirty one percent. They only gave up one sack, uh, two for three in the red zone, and the penalties as bad as they were on that one that one drive. They only had three for twenty five yards. So you can make up for a minus two turnover margin when you're six for three on third down, two for three in the red zone, just three penalties for twenty five yards. You limit you keep them under thirty three percent on third downs. And they needed like every every bit of that, you know. There's just no other margin for error there, considering those interceptions, you know. Yeah, I mean, I look at this game and 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 really, I think you have to be encouraged going forward. I, I know that like some fans, I think in the immediate aftermath said like, man, if you can only put 16 points up, like, what does that mean for this rematch coming up against New Orleans? Is like if you can't get a running attack going, 
is New Orleans going to allow you to just throw all over the field in this, you know, in this next matchup? And I, yeah, you know, I, I look at it and I still say like 300 yards isn't a ton of offense in the modern day NFL where you're allowed to do whatever you want offensively. But like the Chicago team, the Chicago defense has been pretty historically great for most of this season. So, you know, you went on the road and I know that it wasn't that cold and I know like we didn't have to see, you know, a snowball. Um, but to, to watch this Eagles team go in and not lose confidence after that, you know, what was a, a kind of up and down first half and go out and, and especially, you know, look, say what you want about the Nick Foles and Carson Wentz debate, but Nick Foles gets the ball and has to go, what was it? 60 yards, 65 yards on the, on the final yeah, drive. I actually, game. I actually had it wrong. Cause I said that cause Foles was six for nine on that drive. And I said, he threw it to four. I, I didn't catch this in the article today, but they, I said, he threw it to four different receivers. He actually threw it to five different receivers on that drive. There you go. Um, yeah, because he had Alshon on the first one. Then they had that double fake screen where they released uh, Dallas Goddard up the middle for the big the big yak gain on the first down. And yeah. then they had uh, Nelson Aguilar on the corner. He broke that tackle. That's number three. Um, <clears throat> shit, what was next? Um, oh, they hit Zach Ertz uh, right down the middle. That difficult catch was kind of thrown like high where only he could get it. So that's yep. four. Um, and then they ran, they ran Sproul, they ran Smallwood, they ran Sproles, they ran Sproul. What else did they do there? Oh, they hit Jeffrey again, and then they threw it to Golden Tate for the touchdown. So he, he completed six, six passes to five different people on that drive. It was Al, unreal. Alshon caught two of them, and they ran the ball three times with. That was interesting. Not to interrupt your point, but I just before I forget, real quick, that when he when Doug called two running plays. Uh, with Sproles on the goal line there. Everybody was sort of sitting there saying, eh, what the fuck, you know? But, you know, they knew they were going for it on third and fourth down anyway because they had to, right? So they knew they had extra downs. So do you think – I don't know if he talked about this today. I didn't even get to look at the transcript because I was over doing Sixers stuff. But do you think he was just trying to get them to burn timeouts there? I don't know. Like, did he think, I'm not going to get in here. Let's Let's give it at least two – running plays before we try that sprint out to the right and we try to get somebody right on the goal line there because it's risk it's risky it, not it to take not to take four end zone shots but at the same time you look at chicago really didn't have a ton well i mean go figure they moved into field goal range anyway but they didn't they they left chicago with only one time out there yeah see i don't i i think that nagy handled that in, in probably the worst way he could have down the stretch um i think in in doug's case i thought for a while that his his goal was going to be to to run on as much clock as he could, and if he had to kick a field goal, kick the field goal. Um, the the thing is that with the league, the the rule changes on onside kicks. I mean, you it it's so difficult at this point to recover an onside kick. You thought the Eagles were gonna kick a field goal? No, no, no. I'm saying like I think that in theory, with the amount of time they had left, I don't I don't know if Doug went into that final drive thinking we're gonna take all of this off and try to score a touchdown. Oh, well, well, at the beginning of the drive, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I think originally he was like, you know what? If we can burn a bunch of clock here, um, get a field goal, and then recover an onside kick, or you know, go into it with three timeouts, maybe make a stop again, like get your defense back on the field for another stop and hit a late field goal, then like that's fine. As Nick just started to kind of chip away, I thought that you know Nagy made a, a series of errors and not calling timeouts at different points. But uh, I think when the Eagles made it clear that they were going to wait until it ticked down to the two-minute mark, I thought that was a, a little bit of coaching malpractice on the part of Nagy for not calling a timeout soon. Oh, yeah, I, and I using think, the – I think you just yeah. kind of – you know, you look at the momentum of it, right? Like, you, you look at how that, that drive is progressing. 
you look at how your your defense for as good as they are they're still giving up big plays like uh the goddard the goddard play was on that drive wasn't it yeah the big break they ran they ran you know what on that on that drive they ran i want to say they ran pre-snap motion or play action on almost every single play let me scroll up i think i got it written down here somewhere um yeah here we go play action pre-snap motion uh they went trips left on the fake screens play action shallow out more pre-snap motion at 12 personnel they went back and forth with 11 and 12 personnel really really um in a really smart way last night. I think Golden Tate's snaps were uh, Golden Tate's snaps were up um, in in that game. Well, my Golden favorite. Tate, who I said in my prediction was going to have a big game. Thank you. Oh, you, well, you can, we Thank can't you. do a, a podcast or have a day on Slack without you telling everybody that you were right about something. I was right. Yeah, I have a post in draft. I was right. I was gotta right. fucking tell everybody about it. I had, I I had it first. first. Yeah, I had it first. Yeah. I was right. I predicted yeah. this. Yep. You know, and like I would have been right if the if Cody Parker uh-uh. didn't clank uh-uh. it off the fucking thing. But what mm-hmm. do I care? You, I don't. You I'm would not, have been right. So, See, that's so the thing. What? So who cares? So you guys in Slack today. You guys in Slack today. So who cares? It's insufferable like, with the whole. It's like, all oh, f- you know, you guys, you you people always saying that you're always right. It's all a shit. It's all it's all until you're right. It's a shot in the dark anyway. Like okay, so the difference the difference between you being right or me being right was because a guy got a his middle he barely got his middle finger on the ball so hey, but yeah we're gonna Pierre sit here and say oh well, i got it i got it right yeah i knew that he was it was gonna end on a missed field goal like i don't know it's all just horse i shit did anyway. see like five people in the aftermath of that game saying that they uh they called the missed field goal oh yeah well good for you fucking you jerk yeah. off what do you want a fucking cookie some of these people um, but anyway, Doug and uh, Nagy, man, are those <laughs> some of those plays in the fourth quarter, man, they were going pretty deep into the playbook and some of the designs and some of the stuff that I'd, I'd never seen. Oh, the pistol. never seen them. The, 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 the pistol with jumbo pistol, whatever the fuck thing, uh, where they yeah. motioned, where Alshon Jeffrey was the pistol back and they motioned him down and then they threw a slant on him uh, to him. And then they had the two, they had two running backs both run kind of flares and they had both um, tight ends run routes also. So it was so bunched up that you kind of, it's kind of like a breakout, and you don't really know where the hell everybody's going, you know. Um, the, I mentioned the the two, you know, the the double fake screen or whatever the hell, uh, but they had pre-snap motion on, on pretty much like a lot of those there. There was also the one, the second play of that drive where Foles was pressured. He had Aguilar open in the flat, but he couldn't get it to him. Um, and Nagy ran like a – ran a uh, – um, Allen Robinson ran like a like a double move out of a fake – of a faked bubble screen. And so they had like multiple like layers to that thing there. It was it was high level. It, it it's kind of funny to assume because both the defenses were great last night. But on this final two drives, there was some some high level like we've kind of figured out the defense stuff going on here. You know, the Eagles kind of hit that like soft middle a couple times, and the and the Bears were were working on those double moves and those sideline throws. And if you if you went back and told me like at the beginning of the game, like I think when I was previewing the game, I was right. Blah blah blah. I'm gonna fucking tell everybody how right I am. Um, you know, I think mo- I think I and other people said, look, if you you can live with putting the game on Mitch Trubisky's shoulders, right? I mean, he's never played a playoff game before. He's a sophomore, you know. So if you can limit Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen and make him throw the ball, then you can live with it. And Trubisky threw for like three hundred three yards. He was like twenty five for forty something, twenty six for forty two or something, a touchdown and and no picks. Although he should have had one at least. Um, you, I mean, you say he probably he probably did enough to win them the game, you know. Like if you're a Chicago yep. fan, you're not sitting there saying, "Well, nobody's blaming Mitch Trubisky." I mean, he he got him down the field and he got him in a scoring position. So, I don't know. There's a little bit of luck that goes with it, sure. But I thought that I thought the defense they did well with with Nagy's like gadgety 
bullshit kind of stuff. He didn't run a ton of those last night, though. They do a lot of, like, sweeps and end arounds and wide receiver crapola. Uh, use Cohen in a bunch of different ways. Uh, they really tackled well last night. Trubisky didn't do any, didn't do much of anything with his feet, did he? No, it felt like a really conservative game plan. It almost felt like both coaches at at any given point kind of just said to their guys, like, we're going to play this straight. Just and do it, what we do and do it better yeah, than they do. And, yeah, because I think the idea was just kind of play it straight, try to get points wherever you could, and then, you know, rely on your defense. And I don't know. I mean, you, other... you think about it plenty of times. It's like mm-hmm. if you if you don't play to win – and, and rather kind of play to lose, you're almost inevitably going to lose. The other like, thing that um, that stood out to me, and I put this in the story too, but th- they started some of those drives way, way back. Um, they know, the being second the and third. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were two There were two times. It, it wasn't a back-to-back possessions where Sproles waved off a uh, fair catch. The one yeah, rolled I don't know just what the to, hell that just, was all about. Just to the one. Yeah, Another the one. time it, it bounced, and I think I got to about the five. Yeah, they actually the four. seven. They started on the seven. Okay. So they started oh, like, at the – oh, this is where they started last night. Own 25, 1, 7, 25, 32, 17, 17, 26, 14, and 40. So – it's it's crazy because they they didn't start their their average starting point. Uh, Pro Football Reference the the stats this year it says that their average starting point was their own twenty eight yard line on all of their drives this year. So they only had up until the final drive, the game winning drive, they only had one drive that started further than the twenty eight or or closer than the 28 I guess you would say their average starting point was 20 was the 20 yard line last night and that defensive series leading up to the to the game winning drive that there was only a 36 yard punt but they held him to defense held him to a three and out and they moved Chicago back 2 yards so don't underestimate that that defensive series there was was huge that three and out and that cra- that crappy punt it was only 36 yards. I think he was averaging, I think he hit the one before that, 46 yards or 47 yards or something like that. So for them to be able to start on their own 40, that was the best field positioning they had all game long. Yep. You know, and that was huge in, in, in getting them down the field and getting them to score, you know? Yeah, it sure was. What the fuck um, with the uh, – so <laughs> I was just, just trying to wrap my head around the uh, – the catch right before halftime, the catch that oh wasn't God, the, a catch, the catch, there was a the fumble catch, that wasn't the a catch fumble. that was three steps. It was, like, so okay, that one, that to me, right, that's a catch, it's a fumble. The Eagles, if anybody puts a hand on that ball, it, it it's like you almost have to give them possession, don't you? But they didn't immediately whistle him as down, so right, like that was that was the dispute, right? So just to back it up. Guy caught the ball, took a couple steps. It was ruled. Uh, what the hell did they rule in the field? They ruled on that the it field, was they ruled incomplete. incomplete, right? So that when they so they reviewed it. Here's the here's here's verbatim what the the officials said. So I stopped bumbling over it. Okay, in Philly versus Chicago, the receiver controlled the ball with two feet down and took an additional step, so it was a catch. However, because he was not down by contact and there was no video evidence of a clear recovery or the ball going out of bounds, the ruling of incomplete stands. How's he okay. not down by contact if the guy's got his arm wedged between the other guy's arms? I I, I don't know. Now, here's what, the, here's what it says in the instant replay casebook, okay? When a pass is ruled incomplete, either team can challenge that it was a catch and fumble and that they gain possession of the ball. If there is a clear recovery, 
The replay official can also initiate a review of this play if it occurs after the two-minute warning or during overtime. If there is video evidence of a clear recovery by either team, the ball will be awarded to that team at the spot of the recovery, but no advance will be allowed. On fourth down or inside two minutes, the ball will be brought back to the last spot of the fumble if recovered beyond it. If there is no video evidence of a clear recovery or the ball going out of bounds, the ruling of incomplete stands. So, I mean, in in this case, it you know, the Eagles did not get the ball, but they also weren't burned with some bullshit of a, a fumble, you know, of that ball ending up on the five yard line, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just looking at that whole thing. I'm like, there's got to be a better way to to rewrite this or to, or to to look at this. And, and if anything. It should be. I, I hate to do this because I don't want to make it a fucking soccer thing because everybody's going to be like, "Oh, it's you and Russ talking about fucking soccer again." But part of the reason you have the advantage rule in soccer is to let the let the the play, you know, let let the, let the play develop. Naturally, let, it, let it develop and, and see what kind of, yeah, and see what happens. Yeah, fix it if it. Yeah. So tell the refs, get the refs, gather the refs in this off season. And when you're looking over cases from the playoffs and from the regular season, say, Hey, we had this thing in the Chicago and Philly playoff game for future reference and a point of emphasis, moving into next year, let's not fucking touch the ball at all. Okay. Like let's let another player touch it and whatever, and let, let the play go to completion before we blow, blow the play dead. You know, Um, I know that's hard to do because they don't want like, you know, you have situations where guys like one dude's being tackled by like eight different guys. Of course, you're going to blow it dead because his forward momentum stopped or he's going to get killed or something like that. But in those cases, you just kind of they're just going to have to try to hold the whistle a little bit longer because I don't I don't see any other alternative that would help if, if they're not going to change the language in the case book, you know. See, I think it even goes beyond that, though. Like, I, I think it's not only a matter of them not touching the ball. I feel like reps are so quick to blow the whistle. And like in, in this league, I would rather just see them in a lot of cases, just swallow the whistle. If it's a 50, 50 play, at least then it's reviewable either way, you know, like a well, right, cause you always the have the benefit of the doubt to go, to exactly. go back to that, you know? So, but so if, if anything, if just guy let blows, it go. Blows the play dead, like, you know, with the whistle, then like, that's it. It's not reviewable, you know? And that's why yeah, you're only, you're only like, you're only hamstringing yourself when you do that. Yeah, exactly. So if you're an official, what you really should want is to not make that call, you know, like if, yeah. if you, yeah. if you don't blow the whistle, you're really not being held accountable. In a sense, you don't need to be held accountable for whatever the decision made is because it's going to go back to replay. It's also kind you know? of funky, isn't it, that they can say that it's definitely a catch and the guy made like football moves when the when the defender's arm is like wrenched in there the whole time. Well, you know you that's know, Kevin, another that's a whole another thing, but it's it's like okay, <laughs> it's just like anything else, Kevin. Know. A lot of these rules in the National Football I League know. It feels like they change are it every really year. hard to to uh wrap your head they're hard well they're, and they're hard to enforce too look it's like it's like bang bang shit i know i was a ref for for seven months different sport but there were times where things were happening so oh, quickly what, what where you were just did you uh did you oh, take a while take a just, wild guess yeah <laughs> hockey yeah yeah um but you know it just i, I look I, I don't envy these dudes you know and like football's you know the the rule book is well what like 400 pages already as it is well you're so, saying that the rule i mean what's his face what's his face in the 407 yeah what's his face in the booth didn't even know didn't even know what the hell the rule Feely? is well, no that wasn't was it uh no it's um not not Pereira. what the hell is the guy's name 
the fuck who was sitting there in the booth with him oh the other referee guy who's in there with collinsworth and michaels and michaels was like ripping the refs during that whole thing too or not ripping the refs but ripping the ripping the the rules and how how dumb all of it is anyway while you're thinking of that can i just say really quickly that it's it's time to take al michaels behind the woodshed it really is you've got mike tarico in the wings yeah mike tarico is a better play-by-play announcer at this point in his career and at this point in al michaels career it's it's time and let me take it a step further for all those people who are holdouts in the philadelphia market who got who for some reason are still hanging on to whatever the deal with merrill reese is last night my favorite thing in the immediate aftermath of the cody parkey at that time what was appeared to or had appeared to have been a missed field goal were all the people saying oh man can't wait to hear what merrill had to say can't wait for that merrill call i'm like i can I honestly can wait. Actually, I'm fine if I never hear the Merrill call because I know what it's going to sound like. It's not going to sound very good. He might actually be half asleep in the booth when it happens. <laughs> and then the audio actually came out and I'm like, eh, Merrill was asleep. That's great. He sounded less excited than Al Michaels does in a midweek game. He sounded less excited than Kenny Albert does calling uh, what they what the NHL calls the rivalry mat- the rivalry night matchups on a Wednesday night. Yeah, right. He sounded less excited than I've got nothing. No, I was going to just... start naming people in the media, but like Al Michaels did that was it. I'm sorry. Merrill Reese. It was an awful call. It was a terrible call. And the funny thing is in the media, like right afterwards, the Ricky Ricardo um, audio came out <laughs> from him calling. Ricky, which, by the Ricky's way, my guy. Man. He's, he's an awesome it's, dude. It's still funny to me yeah. that like Ricky Ricardo is his name. Cause all I think about obviously is I love <laughs> I Lucy. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a second, this isn't his real name, is it? But then Ricky Ricardo did such a great job on the Spanish telecast, yeah, yeah. which, by the way, I didn't even get to tell you about the fact that I watched the first three quarters of uh, of the Eagles game in Spanish, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fine for me because I speak Spanish, yeah, but my on. family doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife was just like, uh, all right. I mean, she doesn't really care all that much about the commentary anyway. Pendejo but, TV. Um, but you know what? Like, I was actually getting frustrated because it was lagging. Like, the audio was behind. It wasn't that I was listening no. to it in Spanish. It was just like... The audio was like on a delay. It was out of sync Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. really upsetting. But it wasn't Ricky Ricardo because then it would no. have at least been good. But Ricky Ricardo's Ricky's, like. Ricky's the man, yeah. No, senor. No, senor. No, senor. Chicago. Chicago. No, senor. Ricky's a good dude. To this, um, <clears throat> to this day, Ricky was the only person to have me on either radio station to talk about soccer. To talk about soccer really? specifically, I, I'd been on, um, like, like podcasts and stuff like that. I did some stuff with Sean Brace back in the day, and um, you know, I used to call into WIP because I knew all those guys. I worked worked with all those guys at um, the Channel Three. But Ricky was the only dude to actually say, "Yo, go, let's talk about soccer." I don't remember what the hell it was either. I don't know what the topic was at the time, but I remember that specifically. Speaking of Merrill, um, like Merrill's seventy six years old, man. He shit. Like, does he want to retire? Are they going to let him retire? Should he retire? Uh, he's been doing this forever, man. I mean, he's been he's been calling games since nineteen seventy. Is it seventy six, seventy seven, mid seventies, late seventies? That is there? a great trivia question, Kevin, and it is one that I will get back to in about thirty five minutes when my spotter finds the answer. What do you think that? Let me let me. Well, just to put things in perspective. 
Um, what do you what do you think the average seventy six year old person is doing? Chilling. Probably not working. Probably not traveling to Chicago. Seems ageist on your part in too, uh, January. You know. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying though. It's not it's not any like excuse. It's like you know when you're when, I mean, when no, it's time like to Vince move Scully's on. Still it's still really good. Like Vin, Vince Scully in his last season. That, like, I know he's he's an anomaly. Oh, yeah, but baseball's guess, fucking this, but, like, boring. Like slow as shit. Like well, it's he's true, it's a dying know, sport. I mean, he can he could. Some would argue it's a dead. Yeah, sport. There's a, he only has to make like two exciting calls per game in four hours. Yeah. So it's like of at the speed of the game I is just, good for a 76 year old. You know. I didn't grow up listening to Merrill. You know, I I, I didn't really. I've been to Merrill's house. I, I can't, did I ever I tell you that story? No. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was... When I, Come take a look over here, Kevin. This is where I store my Q-tips. <laughs> no, Merrill's a really nice dude. I go through and three Q-tips every game. I knew Merrill's daughter. Both sides. I go from a dark orange to a light yellow hue until there is nothing <laughs> left in my ears. Mer- Merrill, um, my my um, good friend used to date uh, used to date Merrill's daughter as well. Um, there's a story from that that's that's not appropriate for the podcast. But if you see me uh, um, in private, I can tell you the story. Um, they, uh, yeah, Mer- Merrill, because we you know we were a sister station with WIP before the intercom and CBS um, sale. You know, um, so there was this one occasion where. We were doing a story on Merrill, and they didn't have any photographers free at Channel at Channel Three. And so my executive producer uh, Steve comes up to me and says, "Kevin, uh, can you go do this assignment for us uh, with Merrill Reese?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, sure. What the hell do you need me to do?" They're like, "We need you to take a camera. We need you to drive to Merrill Reese's house, and we need you to interview him on this topic." I was like, "Uh." yeah sure whatever the hell you know and like keep in mind i was a producer so i didn't like i go i went out and shot like high school football um and i like chased shady mccoy at the hyatt um bellevue whatever in center city trying to get him on camera for something but i always got these like sports or like random kind of assignments only only when they needed somebody to to shoot video because i was one of the few like in like behind the scenes people actually knew how to pick up a camera and press record and point it at somebody um so I drive up to Merrill Reese's house. He lives up in Bluebell. Um, really nice house on a, like on a golf course community. Uh, nicest dude on the planet. Why didn't you just give out his address while you're no, at No, 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 no. It's not, I'm, what, Bluebell? A golf course community in Bluebell. Bluebell has like 50 golf I'm course look communities. Look how many so. there are. I'm going to narrow it down. Yeah, plus I'm going to drive around and just take a random guess at which house he lives in. Um, he lives up in Bluebell on a golf course community. Nicest dude ever. Come on in. They were wanted me to interview him on how he does his uh, prep. We were doing a feature story on how he does his preparation and how he memorizes all the names of the uh, um, of the opponent players and stuff like that. So he'll sit like Sean McVay. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Yeah, and then go out and lose. Um, but Merrill sits there with his wife, and his wife reads him uh, flashcards and. This was like five or six years ago, and it was like the Dolphins or something. And it was, and she'd be like, uh, "Ryan Tannehill," and he'd say like, "Number seven, Texas A and M, six foot five, two hundred twenty pounds." And he was just ripping off these things like, like guy by guy by guy, like perfectly. Um, his his study is uh, covered in golf turf, and he's got like a putter and like a like a hole like in his. Uh, in his study, it's like really cool. He just gets up and starts hitting like golf balls back and forth. Um, but I mean, I think I think that the point of all this is I think that he was sharper. He was like certainly he was sharper with his uh, identification of what was going on. 
you know, he's using when you when you when they show those videos in WIP, you see there's a spotter um, there that's kind of helping him like identify who who people are and whatnot. And uh, you know, dude, it's it's no like there's no I'm not making some amazing point here or anything, but you're 76 years old, you get older, man. Um, it just gets harder to do. You know? <laughs> you know, it's harder to spot exactly what's going on. It's harder to be more enthusiastic about. It. It's more taxing to travel, you know, I mean, think of all the knowledge that's in his head, like trying to remember who everybody is and every single index card he's, he's done with his wife over 45, 50 years of, of, uh, calling the, calling the broadcast, you know? So, but no, I mean, I, 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 I'm glad he got, but I'm glad, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have been perfect if after the Super Bowl last year, he just called it a career there. They would have just let him get, yeah, you know, I mean, it just seemed like a nice, like round, round, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, Nick leading to a second consecutive will be a a good enough reason, right? (laughs) So let's let's wrap the I want because I want to get into the. I'm sorry, shit. I'm sorry, I I said that wrong. I guess Merrill Reese getting to call the second consecutive Super Bowl led by franchise quarterback no, and clearly no. superior no. Nick God. Foles. No, I'm not. I'm not a. I don't want people to take what that a, the wrong way. I'm not a. I'm not a anti Foles guy. I'm not an anti Foles. I'm not anti Wentz. I'm not you're pro anti-Foles. or anti anything. But everybody in Crossing Broad Slack chat wants to like fucking pigeonhole me into one thing or the other. I make a point in favor of one guy or just like bringing something up about one guy. And then um, Kyle and Mike, who are like the two biggest Foles guys um, in the chat, will be like, yeah, but Foles this. And I'll be like, I'm not fucking, I'm not a Wentz guy or a Foles guy. I'm just saying things, all right? I'm not like a in everything Phil- in I'm Philadelphia. Not a Foles guy. Our, I'm just the guy. No, like our thing in Philadelphia is that everybody, you have to be something. Like you, you're either a Foles guy or a Wentz guy, or the Eagles. The Buddy, Eagles lost just, because of this, or they lost. That's, let me just finish the point, okay? That's this country. No, I know, I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Right? You have to be an either a Foles guy or a Wentz guy. You can't just say, "Well, they're both two good quarterbacks." You have to be either like the Eagles lost because of the defense or because of the offense. It can't be. God forbid, it's both things. You know, you can't be. Uh, you know. It has you have to be a Democrat or a Republican. You can't just be a fucking moderate anymore. You can't be an independent. You know, it's like that's that's the thing that bothers me. I think about the Foles and Wednesday. I don't want to. I don't want to fucking get into like all of that. That's like another podcast for another time, right? But they're going to be to boil it down to the to the most simple thing that I can say is that whether it's Carson Wentz or Nick Foles next year, they're going to be good either way. You can you can win with either of those guys. Okay, it's just about. To me, it's like you, if, if you can get a lot of value for Carson and you believe that Nick's the guy, then go for the trade, then do it. Because you're going to win games with Nick Foles next year. You're going to win games with Carson Wentz next year, okay? It's the greatest problem in the world to have. I was just going to let you go. And we're going to talk about it on WIP and 97.5 and Crossing Broad Slack chat and every family gathering for the next five fucking years, no matter what happens. Because this is what's going to happen, Ross. It's going to be... If Nick Foles, um, if they lose to the Saints next week or something, and then that's it and Foles goes somewhere else, people are going to be like, I'm telling you, Foles is still the better guy. And then if they you know, if they keep Foles and trade Wentz, people are going to be like, well, Wentz was still the best. And it'll be solved. Like, it'll be over. The thing will be over. There'll be no more controversy because one guy will be here Except and the other guy won't be. be. But, but people is- will keep talking about it anyway because that's what we do. It's going to be like Covington. This is going to be Covington. 
Because even after oh, Covington yeah, was yeah. finally gone, yeah. and people were like, "Oh, thank God!" Now at least the conversation can just die. Well, it's down. like it'll be like, it was like yeah, "Oh man, like, yeah. here we go! Here's Robert Covington's last 16 games as a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves." And you're like, "Okay, like great." Well, I mean, people He's are gone. yeah, people are going to still be He's talking gone. about Hinky like, and Colangelo well, for for I mean, years, but it's not that's not it, that's not even going to be relevant next year, you know. Just imagine the scenario where uh, the likely scenario that Foles ends up going somewhere else this off season. Carson Wentz leads the team to like a winning record next year. Maybe doesn't like go thirteen and three. Maybe like leads them to ten and six or something like that. They hit some adversity, whatever, and they lose in the first round of the playoffs next year. Meanwhile, Nick Foles goes off to like Jacksonville or something, and they get to the second round of the playoffs. And that's like, oh man, look at Nick doing it again. We knew, we knew, never should have let him go. You know, I because Nick Foles, Nick Foles, you know, you know. He uh, won his two straight Super Bowls. How you move on from that guy, Howie? How you do that, huh? And then, like, I'm looking at this now. Pro Football Reference um, just made the announcement that Foles has officially qualified for their postseason leaderboards. Mm. And Nick Foles' passer rating is the highest all time for a quarterback in the uh, in the postseason. He's now past Bart Starr. He's ahead of Kurt Warner, ahead of Matt Ryan. Ahead of Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. So that's the Saints. The Saints game in 2014, last year, Falcons, Vikings, Patriots, and this year against the Bears. That the five. Yep. I guess that's a qualification. Is it has to be five games? Yeah. Or is it past attempts? Or I'm pulling it up oh, on their okay. site right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it has it listed. But people from forget. To I mean, people conveniently forget that Nick was utterly average in the first two regular season games this year. You know, you keep coming back to like no, Seth, but it's 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 people people, keep, people were saying like, well, Foles Foles no, came back and saved us. Well, yeah, but like people like conveniently well, like, yeah, he was forget that like he he didn't just come off the shelf. He he played earlier this year. <laughs> he played two, <laughs> he played two games, games yeah. in a in a team that for a team and he was okay. But I think for the most part, yeah. pretty much anybody said like. Was kind of sleepwalking their way through the first two games of the well, season. Well, yeah, I mean, then that's like, it wasn't just you attach, him. You attach modifiers was, was and asterisks. To everything. And, I, I get it, I get it. But then you, know, you I go say and, and when I like, come back and say Carson Wentz is playing at an MVP level before he got hurt last year, then everybody then everybody thing. gets all offended because they think I'm like now they think I'm a Wentz guy and I'm like I'm not I'm not like just because I say something that like is nice about one player or like pushes the argument. Like in in one way or the other doesn't mean I'm automatic. Like if I make a Wentz point, it doesn't mean I'm a Wentz guy. And if I make a Foles point, it doesn't mean I'm a Foles guy. Like can't you just like fucking talk about this? It's like it's like whenever I read a column for the website, half of the the troll commenters think I'm a liberal, and the other half think I'm like a Republican. I'm like I'm not I'm not I'm not either one of those. You know, but everybody's like automatically jumps to these conclusions. Like just because you say, what's it like being a uh, a card carrying member of the Green Party? <laughs> anyway, not like. I'm a Jill Stein supporter. Look, any t- oh, oof, sorry. I just want uh, to sm- smoke the, uh, the 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 Swedish chiba. Ah, I sure. can't. I forgot. I can't do the half. Sell that no, I Ikea? can't do half baked references with you because you've never seen the movie. You can't do it with. I can't do it with Kyle because Kyle's never seen. I can, probably can't do it with Bob. I feel like I'm gonna sit here in an echo chamber. It's the, it's the funniest movie of all time. Not so and sure I hope the that. listeners back me up on that. Look, here's the thing. And I hope they so, they criticize the, the ones, you. For, the ones part of this, the thing that you keep saying. And the thing that I've seen a lot of people say is last year, Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level. And then what happened? He tore his ACL. He had his, his knee and up. And he threw a out. touchdown on and the ACL. And then he came back this year. <laughs> he came back this year, probably too early, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Never looked totally right, probably because he came back too early. Mechanically looked unsound. And while some of the, you know, the basic counting numbers 
looked like he was playing at about the same level. Mm-hmm. The eye test part of this said that he never really was. And it's okay. No, I, I know. I know. You know, and but like my whole thing with this is, and the reason that I, I just can't wrap my head around why people think this argument has to be like so much bigger than it is, is if Carson Wentz were healthy, if this were last year Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz is easily the better quarterback. It's not even close, and you move on. Like it, yeah, it, yeah. It's I mean, all simple. we've really did, all we but, really determined this, in that first week, in that of, first week, was that okay, we we know that healthy Nick Foles is better than injured Carson Wentz. Okay. Yeah, and, and we look, know that we know that Foles Nick is good been, is good in the playoffs, but that's that's we but do, the, but that we don't idea, know about Carson. Right, it's like mutually that, exclusive that because we don't have we don't we don't have that sample size. You can point and to it's a legitimate you can point concern. to what Carson did in the fourth quarter of regular season games this year. Absolutely, you know. But then at the end, you attach that modifier to it. You say the team was it was not the same team. You know, the defense was not what they are now. Uh, he was injured. You know, how bad was the back? How bad was the ACL? Nobody knows. So that's not, I think the thing I'd want to point out is it's like it, it, people are like making absolutes out of things that are mutually exclusive. Like just because Nick is really, really clutch and really good in the playoffs doesn't automatically mean that Carson is not. I think the argument that Kyle and Mike and those guys make that you is that how do you move on from somebody who we know is this good in the postseason? You know, and, and it's a solid argument. And that's that's probably what if you put a gun to my head and said, who's your quarterback? I would say it's got to be Nick Foles right now because you can't get away from somebody who's playing as well as he can. But I think a lot of people are assuming that every pro-Foles thing has, is coupled with an anti-Wentz thing or a, every Foles positive means a Wentz negative. Um, you know, it's it's mutual exclusivity here. Not Not all of these things are linked. Okay. I was looking just really quick. Um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm actually backed up by stats on this one before I throw it out there. Yeah. So the reason that I, I know, at least in my side of things, I kind of look at this and I say, you know what? I'm not as sold on Carson Wentz at the end of games. Um, and, and the reason I think people are right to bring up the fact that we haven't actually seen Carson in a super high stress situation in a, in a fourth quarter with a game on the line is in his career, he's led four fourth quarter comebacks, four game-winning drives. 2016, uh, in week nine against uh, Atlanta, they ended up winning that game by uh, nine points. Mm-hmm. 2017, week three, it was against the Giants. They won by three points. And then uh, game three this year against Indy and week 11 against the Giants. Right? Yeah. yeah. They won by four points and three points respectively. Sorry, Bob, so he's had Bob's four... tweeting me about Imagine Dragons here, and I'm fucking oh, annoyed at, at, oh my God. at him for you love Imagine me Dragons. That, yeah. I might have to lead the show with uh, Imagine Dragons from now on anytime you're on. Um, but So Carson is what has led four fourth-quarter comebacks in his career. You flip that over to Nick Foles. Now, obviously, in the case of, of Carson, like it's it was his, what, third year in the league, so he doesn't have nearly the amount of games uh, eligible to have done it. But Nick Foles, on the other hand, has 10 fourth-quarter comebacks, 12 game-winning drives. Goes all the way back to 2012 against Tampa Bay. If you remember, that was that Week 13 game where uh, they played in Tampa. And who was it? Avant came back after the game and said that Nick wrote up the play himself. Remember, yeah. he audibled out, but in the huddle, he actually set up new routes for the guys to run. They They walked off, if I remember correctly, in that game uh 2013 against detroit in week 13 then in 2014 he had wins in the first three games of the season were all come from behind 
Uh, they won against uh, Jacksonville at Indy, home against Washington. 2015, he led Seattle to a uh, three-point upset of Seattle. Um, and then he, 2017, he had three. Um, week 13, obviously, that was the, the one after uh, Wentz went out that he beat the Rams, a win over Oakland, and then, well, we know the big one. Yeah. I don't know if you, you happen to have heard about the big one there, Kevin. That was the... Uh, that was a Super Bowl. Yeah. And then 2018, he's got three this year. He has three comeback wins, including this one against Chicago. So, you know, the people who want to make the case that Nick Foles is a more reliable quarterback in the fourth quarter, like, yeah, there, there are stats to break it up. He has a larger sample yeah, size. Yeah, yeah. But even if you wanted to take it over, say, like three seasons between 2015 through, you know, through now. Yeah, yeah. I just he he has more he has more to his credit. See, I, there's something to be said for being able to perform under pressure. I, and that's one thing we haven't really had to see from Carson, because for better or worse, you know, last season he did such a great job of getting this team out in front, and and getting them to a position where they could go 13 and three down the stretch. That like, he never really had to do things with like the division on the line or with a playoff berth on the line, or you know, with a, a chance to move on to play New Orleans now. The interesting thing, I want to get your your thought on this really quick because we've droned on about the Eagles game for almost an hour now. Um, going into New Orleans, I can't imagine that Wentz is going to be active. Is there a possibility in your mind, if you're Doug Peterson, and, and we had this conversation last week, but if, if medically Carson is cleared to be a backup no. quarterback, you don't dress him? No, because... All it does then is just reignite more more bullshit of Foles and What if Wentz Nick gets Foles hurt? Well, what if the game is... Then you're so not going to win. Here's your worst case scenario. Is Carson coming it's in a, and winning? It's a four... Well, I'm just saying it's a four-point game, fourth quarter. Eagles get a, a... I don't know. They get a fourth... or They get a, they force a, a three and out. They have about three and a half minutes left on the clock, two timeouts because Doug failed <sighs> on a challenge. I'm trying to set this no, up. No, I, I know what you're saying, man. Right. I would rather, and then four if, point, if, if it came four down points, to that, of course, first, yes, I, of course I would trust play, Carson Wentz over over Nate Sudfeld, well, but I just don't think, I think, I think if it gets to that point, then you're probably. You get the ball on the 18, on your own 18 yard line. Nick Foles goes out first play. Jason Peters does what he does best, gives up a sack, breaks Nick Foles' collarbone. And now you look to the sideline. You're down four. <laughs> You've got to drive 82 yards down the yeah. field. And who would you rather go to, Studfeld or Carson Wentz? I just don't know. I don't Obviously know if Carson Studfeld. Wentz, who hasn't. So it's actually, it's, it'll be a good thing that you're not going to address Carson because it's going to start the legend. Here's the real thing. He's what coming happens in cold if Nate Sudfeld comes in? not throwing a pass. I don't what think if, he's doing much of anything. What if Foles anymore. gets hurt, Nate Sudfeld comes in, beats New Orleans, Foles can't come back for the NFC Championship game, Nate Sudfeld beats Dallas, and now you go off to the Super Bowl, <laughs> and Nate Sudfeld wins you nah, a Super stop, Bowl. Stop. Then what do you do? Because then Carson Wentz is the third quarterback. I just want people and to at be that like, point, I, I, like I, I, you know, Philly. I think the best trait and the worst trait of the Philadelphia sports fan and media member too, to to a point is, uh, is is emotional, you know, support for your team and knee jerk reaction because it it, it means unconditional support in the face of any kind of adversity. Um, but it also doesn't lend itself well to, to pragmatism either. You know, I just try to like, try to call it how I see it, you know? And again, it's just, it's, it's the best problem you could possibly have. I don't think that there's a wrong decision. (laughs) 
Like I really don't. I, I, I would not be, if I was a fan, I would not be upset with Nick Foles returning next year to be the quarterback, nor would I be upset with Carson Wentz returning to be the quarterback if it meant that the other guy was gone, you know? I mean, I just keep coming back yeah. to that takeaway. I mean, you can. it doesn't mean that one decision is more, you know, it's not like the same weight. You're not valuing them at the same things. So obviously, there's different things to consider, but whatever the ultimate result of it is, I, I personally do not see it to be – I would be fine with either one of them, which I guess is why I kind of like subconsciously, I guess it's why I roll my eyes at the whole argument and make fun of how we talk about it so frequently because I think I, the, out, the ultimate outcome, I, I see no negative in it. I don't know. Maybe that's why people are giving me giving me shit about. It. I know it's easy to do the hot takes and say a bunch of sh- bunch of shit or whatever, and you know, come flying off the rails with something that gets you a lot of retweets or whatever the hell. But I don't, I don't, I don't say that shit because I don't believe it. You know what I Here's mean? Here's the I just negative. Don't, I just don't Carson Wentz walks, and in week two of next season, Carson Wentz does what he does best and gets hurt. I'm All right, let's kidding. talk about the Sixers now. All right, I'm done. So yeah. we had um, so Brett Brown on Saturday talked about the Jimmy Butler confrontational meeting theory. I'll set it up for you in case you're living under a rock. Report from Woj came out on Friday after practice that said that there was a, that Butler has been aggressively challenging Brett Brown. And there was like an argument in a film session when the team was out in Portland Uh, and B didn't play in that game. They played like shit and they got their ass kicked. Uh, Saturday we asked Brett about it and he talked like ad nauseum about it, like 20 minutes pregame. Um, we did, I have like all the quotes on that up on the site. Uh, my takeaway, the bullet point takeaways from that were Brett kind of downplayed it. He said, it's not really that he said that they talk all the time, him and Jimmy Butler. It's not really anything that he would consider out of the ordinary for a typical coach and player, uh, exchange, uh, Brett often asks people for their opinions. He asks his players for their opinions and they can talk to him. It's kind of an open forum back and forth, right? Um, the takeaway I thought from, I think probably the, the, the most interesting quote was kind of the last one uh, that he gave on Saturday night. And because uh, the ESPN story suggested that the conflict here is sort of Jimmy's usage in the offense and how Brett's motion offense is set up and how they like to play versus how he likes the ball, all right? So on the idea of running like running more pick and rolls versus like dribble handoffs and stuff like that, Brett said, quote, he doesn't like DHOs. He likes pick and rolls, okay? <clears throat> the DHOs are not his sort of thing. Coming off staggered DHOs especially is not his thing. He likes to be in pick and roll. Uh, I think over time when you look at what he's been put into, although the numbers aren't great right now, it's true. It's where he should be placed. And so more and more of those should be run, but not to the detriment of Joel Embiid, not to the detriment of some other things. I think if you put a gun to my head and said, where should our bread be buttered? It's through Joel Embiid and then Jimmy Butler. And JJ is going to move to do his thing and Ben is going to find his way. And that's the ecosystem. That's on me to create that. So two kind of shots that I, I I don't, I want to, I don't want to say he took shots at, at Butler here, but number one, he said the numbers aren't his, Jimmy Butler's pick and roll numbers are not that great. And number two, it's Joel Embiid's team. I get in line. You know, their, their bread is buttered with Joel Embiid and you create the offense around him and you do whatever it, you can to, to make him tick because he's the best player on your team, maybe the best player in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. So those were the two. That no, was I, that I, was that was Brett's side of it. What did you what, what did you think when you were reading over that stuff? I think my immediate when when initially came out, 
and I I did like the uh, what I thought was a level-headed version of this on the site was I think Jimmy is right in wanting to be featured in more pick and rolls. I, I've I've felt like for the vast majority of his time here, it's felt like they've tried to do more of a plug and play of him just kind of taking over Covington's role more so than fundamentally changing some of the offensive motion in that, that they've got set up. Now, you're down there a lot more than I am, and you get to observe this stuff a lot more than I do. But when I think of Jimmy Butler, I think of an ISO player, and I don't think of a guy moving off of dribble handoffs. I just don't. Um, but I, I go back to there was a quote that he had right after he had left Chicago, and it was when Hoiberg was taking over as, as coach. Mm-hmm. And he had said that, um, you know, for for his money, he would have preferred one, like the team going one of two directions, either letting him kind of be like this ISO scorer or going with like Hoiberg's whole thing of spreading the ball around, taking a lot of threes, kind of being like a Golden State. Yeah. And like ultimately Chicago chose to go with the latter of the two. And now you look at it and it's however many years later and here we are and it, it, it essentially feels like the same kind of power struggle. And this I think is... It comes back to to one thing, just fundamentally that I I think has kind of hurt this season for me. I don't think the Sixers are a fun team, and it sucks because for so long they were the most fun team in the town for me. And I I honestly think that I enjoyed the process years more than I've enjoyed this season. I thought last season was a lot of fun. Well, because there's no expectation. I thought, I thought in because the moment, there's no expectation yeah. because there this this year is this year has been so so bird bird it's been burdensome. So it's been the, such a labor because they have expectations if, to to reach the Eastern Conference Finals, and if not, then who cares? If yeah. you're a Sixers fan and you can't acknowledge the fact that the 16 game win streak last year was the worst thing to happen to this team in probably three years, I don't know what to tell you. Because that 16-game win streak screwed up a few things. One, it made the national media glum onto this team, which, which you know, I think accelerated the entire um, track of this thing. It accelerated the timeline to a point where, like, in theory, when this team wasn't getting off to a to the hottest of starts, and you started to look around at the rest of the conference, and you said, "Wow, you know, Toronto's a lot better. Kawhi Leonard is a, a top five player in the conference, maybe a top five player in the game." Uh, even though he's still sitting out like the second half of back-to-backs. And the the lost part of that deal was the Danny Green acquisition. So you got great depth to go with a team that you know finished first in the conference last year and, and everybody just kind of seemed to overlook in Toronto. You knew that Boston, in theory, like Boston should be the best team in the conference because I think you know between them and Toronto, really they're a deep team. They've got two starting um, caliber lineups that they can roll out. They just haven't been able to figure out a way to actually get all those guys happy and get them the shots they needed. Um, and now Milwaukee, with a, with a competent coach, all of a sudden, even though Giannis can't shoot, he actually shoots you know, to some extent worse than, than Ben does, although he's at least willing to take those shots. Um, you know, Milwaukee has now popped up as a legit top three team in the East. And, and meanwhile... The Sixers are 26 and 14, and it, to me, it feels like they're a 500 team. You know, it, if you think about like what are the signature wins of the of the uh, the season thus far, it's not like you can say, well, hey, you know what, you went into Boston and you won, or you know what, like Toronto came in. At well, that's full what I'm saying, man. It's like and, it's and you smacked it's, them it's down. It's because and, last and, year it was easy for fans to get excited about 
beating the crap out of the Hawks Anything. and the Knicks and the Nets and whoever the hell. And now we're all just sitting there. And I, when I go down to the, to the Wells Fargo Center, it's like, all right, they got uh, the Hornets. Or they have, God, who else sucks? Whoever, you know, somebody else comes in, they, they, the they beat the brakes off of them. And you know that game doesn't really mean anything because all this, this season is, is is being judged against Boston and Toronto and Milwaukee. And yep. those games are few and far between, you know, so everything else in between, they're expected to win. You know, you supposed to beat the New York Knicks, right? So yep. that's why it's laborious, you know, in, in, in what it, you're, it in like what you're seeing and, and how the fans are kind of responding to this team because you're expected to beat all these teams now because the goalposts have moved. Uh, the, you know, you are supposed to be in the top three or the top two um, of the conference. It's not just that. You went from Kevin, zero to like all these crazy expectations like pretty much overnight, you know? It feels like every game, regardless of win or loss, somebody's bitching about something. It's like... Well, that's why... That's Joel why doesn't like how he's being used. Jimmy, you know, oh, is Jimmy happy with the role well, that's he's why, got? that's why Does the, Ben the, really the problem care? Is, is there a reason Ben's not shooting? Brett doesn't look that happy. What's going on with Brett? Is Raymond Brothers going to have no. another... You know, nonsense. Because they're on winning. You're wondering why this is coming out. Well, you're wondering like, why this is these things are happening. Joel talking about I'm not his wondering usage. why. I'm just saying, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm it's, just listen it's, to the point. You know. People are, you know, you you wonder why these things are coming out, or why Joel's complaining about his usage, or why you have this ESPN story. Well, and then the team is 25 and 14 or whatever the hell they are. You know, like they're winning games. <laughs> they're not. That that should be the the most telling thing about how stressful it is, probably internally and laborious externally is because yeah you're winning all these games but they're games you're supposed to win so the the stress and when you get these things from Embiid talking about his usage or whatever this butler bullshit is that's kind of the concerning thing to me because when that shit happens it's dysfunctional teams like the chicago bulls you know or yeah and that's and i think that's the thing that i come back to with this is i look at it and in my mind i'm coming up with trade scenarios to trade jimmy butler away and it's not necessarily because you're trying to trade <clears> him away him as a yeah, follow me on this. So, you can let him go in the offseason if, if he really implodes, right? If if Brett at any point and, and Elton honestly sit down and say, like, there is not a fit here long term. There is no way to make this guy gel with this locker room. It's not working. And I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying, in theory. You could let him walk at the end of the season. Or, you might be able to pawn him off to a, another team that's then going to be able to offer him a better contract. Like I look at Washington and Washington's not going to be able to go out and get Jimmy Butler on their own. But when you have more money to be able to offer and that extra year to be able to offer, if, if I'm the Sixers, I still am interested in the concept of bringing in Bradley Beal. And to me, the only way to really make it work, at least in terms of numbers would be, you know, something near a, a straight up swap. Do I think Bradley Beal's as good of a player on both sides of the ball as Jimmy Butler? No, he's not. But Bradley Beal to me fits in their timeline not, a lot they're more. They're not going to trade. He's they're younger. Not trade he's Butler. He's gonna nobody's going to trade. I'm not saying nobody's going to trade for Butler. In my mind, yeah, this is like a non. This I'm is just like saying a in, in in my mind, like <laughs> look, Washington needs star power. They don't have it. They've got John Wall out for the rest of the season. They have John Wall eventually making forty million dollars a year. They are certainly not a free agent destination. You need to be able to acquire guys at the end of their deals. And be able to offer them more. Like Washington, to me, has to almost operate like a small wow, market. Washington team is does. like eleventh, eleventh place in the East. They're not even like in yeah. The, they're gonna they're gonna be awful this year. I'm saying like if the idea is 
if Washington decides that they need to eventually go out and try to try to bring in a guy, having the rights and having the ability to offer Butler more or any other free agent for that matter, um, with his amount of years I mean, in I the league I, in, I, being able to to offer that, like it makes you at least a little bit more competitive in that market. And I still think they want to get out from under Bradley Beal's contract because they they owe him twenty five million a year. I'm not saying these things are what is going to happen. I'm just saying, like in my mind, I think the Butler trade for what you traded him for made sense. I think it was a better deal for the Sixers overall. Like I think it top end talent when you get to the playoffs and you start to shorten your bench. Jimmy Butler is a better, more impactful player than Robert Covington and Dario Saric. But at the end of the day, like I look at this and I say over the next five years, do I think that Jimmy Butler's prime is going to line up with that of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? And the answer is no, because I'm not exactly sure that Jimmy Butler is playing at the highest level of his career. And I certainly don't think that two or three years from now, he's going to be anywhere close right, well, let to me, that. Let me back it up and just go over some of the quotes from, because we got all sidetracked on this without even, without even going over what Butler said today. Um, so he, he also downplayed all this stuff, but... Um, he said, "He said I don't think anything was confrontational. I just think whenever we talk, when it's in the office, it's me or him or in front of anybody else. I'm going to speak my mind, and he speaks his. I think everybody else does a great job of doing that. I don't think any part of it was confrontational. Uh, it was just a player and a coach talking, and it just happened to be in front of everybody. I think we came away from it great, and we got better as a team. Um, the other quote that stood out to me was when they were talking about um, – I think Derek asked him, he said, was this particular report about you wanting more uh, pick and roll in the offense or there were more pick and rolls like uh, there have been more recently? He said, <clears throat> Butler said, no, it was not. I think that whole thing, I think what the whole thing was, was I would say that with me being here, a lot of things are different. A lot of things that you used to run with other personnel that were here. I'm a different player than Covington and Sarich. That's all I was saying. The other guys had something else to say, but I think in the end it was a positive thing because everybody got out what they needed to say. Um, he said it wasn't he said the offense wasn't my discussion part of it I'm not going to say who said what that's not what I'm here for but I think a lot of people spoke up about a lot of different things and how they felt comfortable in the game on both ends of the floor I think everybody's basing everything on offense but I think we can be a much better defensive team as well so as much as everybody's saying he's challenging the offense I would say I speak up more on the defensive side Sorry, I, I just no. It doesn't. So, so Butler today, Butler today, Monday was talking about like I brought up, I bring up a lot of stuff about the defensive side, but Brett was giving us full quotes on Saturday night about dribble handoff and pick and roll and stuff like that. So, somebody's kind of bullshitting or or not really telling the you know obviously they're not telling the full part of it. No, but well, why why would you? Sure, surely they're not like you wouldn't become a superstar player would not be complaining about like the defense in a film session before the offense. Like, that's not his complaint, is it? Like, that he's being used like Covington on defense or he's supposed to be a plug-and-play for him? Like, this, surely it's an offensive thing. It's offense. It's got to be offensive usage. Like, he's not in there saying, like, we switch too much. So. Yeah, you would assume so. He also Unless... talked again today about, like, he's still not up to speed with all the terminology that they use on defense. I mean, he's had a long. He's had a long. Time. It's like How six weeks. I don't know the, what uh, more. Uh, unless, like, unless you know, the Sixers mean like red to switch. You know, maybe red meant do something completely different in Minnesota. I don't. I don't know. But he's been here long enough to. Yeah. He, they should understand the defensive terminology. It's not like they're. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't think they're doing like, uh, you know, cardiovascular surgery here, you know? Yeah. But I don't know something, I don't something, know. I, I don't know. It makes me wonder how much of a grip Brett has in the locker room. But at, at the end of the day, I'll, I kind of take like the Foles and Wentz kind of approach to this thing. It's like, look, name, name me a team where every single player got along and loved each other and there were no issues behind the scenes. Like, look at, like, look at what the Warriors are, you know, Durant and, and Draymond squabbling over whatever the hell, you know? And when Kevin Durant yeah, came, see, came to that team, yeah, they I mean, changed the their offense. They've, they've won, you know, they've won yeah, championships. Yeah. Like, see, that, that to me is like, I think the most disappointing part of this is if, if we'd been like in the second or third year of a Jimmy Butler contract and this stuff started leaking out, then fine. You know, like if, if you had even made it to the NBA finals at least once, and then this stuff started to kind of come out because you figured, yeah, you know what, the team's kind of stressed out. They've they've been going playing at a high level. They've been they've had other teams in the conference gunning for them as the top the top dogs in in the conference. And like, fine, like eventually the pressure is going to get to you. But like, to me, there's no reason for the pressure to have gotten to anybody yet. And in the case of Jimmy, like the the thing I I don't get is and like why none of this ever makes sense and why none of this makes sense for like who could have leaked it or or mm. why is like. In Butler's case, just I, I I guess it's hard, but like, don't cause mayhem for four months. Well, his agent should like, just be saying to him, like, like, "Dude, you're about to get paid." Yeah, like bite <laughs> like, your tongue for just four sh- months. Shut the hell up deal. for like four months. Get your get your max. And that's and, the thing yeah. I don't get. Like maybe, uh, like what if, what if it's like Mike Muscala? <laughs> like what? Mike Muscala. You know, Mike Muscala's dad. Out. Well, remember Mike Muscala's dad didn't like Jimmy Butler. This is a whole thing, right? Okay, this is right. the internet. This yeah. is like the big thing. Like, what if it's just another veteran player who's like, dude, just shut up. I, like, the, the the funny thing to me is people were like, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, could Joel be leaking it? Could, um, I, there was the theory that, you know, maybe, uh, Fultz was sitting in there and, and he might have, like, told Raymond Brothers who went and told Woj. Yeah. Could it be somebody in Simmons' circle? Like, no, like, what if it's just another veteran player who's just like, dude, <sighs> shut up. But they're also God. not a good enough player to be able to, like, go up to Jimmy and say it themselves because he's going to put them on full blast on the court and off it but like well it's like well it's like a bit brett's know. brett's shake milton shake milton right now <laughs> jeff's just like, boy he's fed up yeah, man. jeff's boy <laughs> sign that man to a full term it was contract. demetrius demetrius jackson before he went to china yeah. that's why that's yeah. why they uh they that's sent him to why china. they waved demetrius. it wasn't that wasn't voluntary <laughs> demetrius jackson was the mole he was the leak buddy that's it I think it's time to end the podcast yeah. on that i mean look what no else i just look I'll, I'll end the sixers thing on this i think it's like you know, I think the disappointing thing is like, dude, you got a good thing going. All right. You know, you're 26 and 14. You got another crack at Toronto at home. You got two cracks at, at Boston at home. You got a difficult part of your schedule coming up where you can rip off some good wins and kind of, kind of, you know, put aside this thought that they can't win a big game. You know, um, you got a good thing yeah. going. All right. Don't fuck it up. Jimmy, you're about to get paid. Don't fuck it up. Joel, you're having an MVP defensive player year kind of season. Don't fuck it up. Ben, you're improving in the post, and you've, you've taken a couple jump shots over the last couple of games. Don't fuck it up. Um, Markel, you keep doing whatever you're doing. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> You just keep doing whatever it is like, that you Dude, it's do. not it, – this stuff doesn't work. I mean, the modern-day NBA is about getting superstars and surrounding them with the right players and getting them all to, to work. This is this is like the, 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 the pinnacle you have reached. These are like the greatest problems you can ever have. This should just be the name of the podcast, like good problems to have, you know? 
The Eagles have two yeah. great quarterbacks. The Sixers have three superstars that they're trying to find a way to work together. Like, fucking get in line, man. Everybody deals with this kind of stuff. Every good sports team that has ever won anything ever. Again, I, cha- I, I challenge anybody who's listening to this. Hit me up on Twitter. Tell me if you can name a team that where everybody got along and they were all best of friends. There's never any kind of like grumbling or controversy over playing time or scheme or fit or anything like that. Find me the team that that was was operated perfectly. Because I don't, I don't yeah, think there was it. one. Maybe like Tim Duncan and Tony Parker Spurs, but I, you know, I don't know. That's your that's your one. That's the one I can think of. You know, tell me everything one. was good with the yeah. New England Patriots. All those yeah, years, no. Not. You know, the Warriors, no. The Cleveland Cavaliers, no. <laughs> you know, so on and so on and so forth. You know, so I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I guess, I just kind of default back to that. It's like they've got some tough games coming up. Rip off a couple wins, all this goes away. And I guarantee you that none of this shit would have ever happened if if Kyrie missed that shot on Christmas Day or JJ hit his shot. You know, because everybody would be sitting here saying, "Man, they finally got the monkey off their back with the Celtics." You know, and then we're not sitting here talking about this. Yeah. Nope. Nope. All right, man. All right, so we have a we have a lot of positives, right? Is it's, that dude, we try to be a positive. A, we're a, uh, it's a positive podcast and a positive website, I think. Contrary to what people believe, I try to I try to yeah. always look at uh, look at the bright side of life, as that one British guy said in that one song a while ago. It's mm. mm. a good way to look. All right, so we'll be back later this week with uh, probably a preview of the Saints game. And any other uh, recap that needs to happen about the Sixers, the Flyers, uh, they, they're not good. They're not good. And the Phillies still haven't signed anybody. So it's not exactly like there's a whole Status lot of other quo. stuff to talk about with the uh, the other teams. Um, Ernst Tanner, by the way, for Philadelphia Union fans, said that they're going to be uh, hopefully announcing a signing in uh, at some point oh, this week. And Bork Doshkal will not be returning. So uh, arguably yeah, the Flyers' job, best man. player from last year will not yeah. be returning that's quite fitting the union's uh, oh flyers lost three nothing to the uh, st louis blues at home tonight so that's good. exciting they go on the road to washington they'll be back Man. thursday hosting the dallas stars so uh if you're a flyers fan go check out the press row show with uh with me and anthony and we'll be down there slogging through it and uh you know we'll be pre-game first intermission second intermission so uh keep an eye out for that slogging. i suppose yeah, slogging, so, uh, slogging, slogging, toboggan. All right, well, uh, for Kevin, find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back later this week with a uh, new episode.